Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If we as fight fans can pretty much universally accept the premise that matchmaking is not always about the best fights based on merit, but what is best for business, then we can also accept that sometimes the UFC makes fights that they really should have known would only lead to the destruction of a beloved fighter for absolutely no reason at all. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, a massive thanks to our channel Hall of Famers, and these are 10 stars the UFC pointlessly killed off. Number 10, Johnny Hendricks versus Paulo Costa. The only reason this one isn't higher is because it was done perfectly but man, what a brutal call. Like, damn, who the hell did Johnny Hendricks piss off at the UFC for them to put him up against Paulo Costa? I mean, okay, the guy's had some problems cutting weight. He's clearly on the downturn of his career, but he's had some fun fights. Like, why are we doing him like this? By the time these two fought, Hendricks had lost five of his last seven. He'd just missed weight and been TKO'd by Tim Bosch. And the UFC thought, hey, this would be the perfect time to have him go up against this undefeated guy with stoppages in every single win in his entire career, who looks like the fucking Brazilian Hulk. This fight was the definition of feeding the old to the young. Paulo beat the ever-living shit out of Johnny, who subsequently retired following the bout. Hell of a way to say goodbye to the guy who arguably beat Prime GSP just a few years earlier. Number 9. Meatball Molly versus Aaron Blanchfield. Here's the thing, not everybody needs to be fighting for a championship spot, right? Like, I know that's the goal for everyone, but there's clearly value in fighters beyond that, especially from the perspective of fans. And Molly McCann is a great example of a fighter that has that value. Value. She's just fun. She stole the show with her spinning back elbow finish in London. Later that year, they had her in London again, where she would get another performance bonus finish. And while those moments were fun and awesome, it didn't feel as if these wins were leading to a bout with 9-1 Aaron Blanchfield. In fact, Blanchfield opened in that matchup as a minus 500 favorite, as the fight would later prove as Aaron would get the Kimura victory in the first round. And so who did this serve? Everybody was already pretty confident that Blanchfield was the next big prospect, a future title contender. Why why the hell would you ruin the Meatball Molly fun? Why is McCann not fighting strikers on every single UK card? It's not even remotely a knock on her either, but nobody enjoyed the Blanchfield matchup and it killed the momentum she was building. Number eight, Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Vera. It's pretty insane to think that when Frankie fought Cheeto, we were a whole decade removed from his last title victory and he'd bumped down two whole weight classes. Normally, fighters gain weight as they age. They don't go from 155 to 135. I remember when I heard that Edgar was moving down again, I thought, man, that is insane. And mind you, this was coming off that TKO loss to Zombie. It kind of felt like Frankie Edgar's story was over. He would shockingly win his bantamweight debut in a fight of the night with Pedro Munoz, but that would be followed up by the worst KO loss of his career. That flying knee that froze him in time just 
28 seconds into his fight with Corey Sandhagen. And it was at that point that it felt like, okay, in the last four years or so, Edgar has lost more than he's won. He's been finished three times now when in the past his chin was iron. Maybe it's sunset time. Nope, Marlon Vera next. Now, it's true that it was competitive up to the point of the finish. Frankie was at least one and one on every judge's card, but it would of course end with another devastating KO. This entry doesn't get helped by the KO to Chris Gutierrez that would come after it either, but that's only in hindsight which affected the positioning of this one on the list. Number seven, Sean Gannon versus Brandon Lee Hinkle. Now, I know what you're going to say, Tommy, Sean Gannon was not a star. What are you talking about? Why is he on this list? He's on it because he was an internet star in an instant when he beat Kimbo Slice in a street fight, and he was brought into the UFC for that very reason. But they very clearly just wanted to humiliate this man for, I don't know, being famous enough for them to decide he was worth bringing into the promotion, I guess. There's no way they had plans for this guy or to build him up, because otherwise they wouldn't have matched him up with Brandon Lee Hinkle. They would have picked a brawler, somebody he would have an entertaining fight with that he even stood a chance to defeat. Instead, they said the best matchup for a street fighter would be a D2 national champion wrestler who was 19 fights into his professional career. The fight went exactly like you would think it would, with Hinkle winning in the first round after zero offense by Gannon. I would ask why the hell you would do that to a guy who could potentially be a star, but we know the answer. It was definitely a case of, oh, this guy beat Kimbo? You guys all think Kimbo is hot shit? Watch what happens when somebody who beats him steps into the octagon and gets battered. Number six, Lil Nog versus Ryan Bader 2. All right, so when these two fought the first time, it made a ton of sense. Pajeria was on a seven-fight win streak, he'd had a knockout of the night in his UFC debut, and the fight of the night with Jason Brills in his second outing. Ryan Bader was the new kid on the block, he was undefeated, he'd won tough, he was on a four-fight run in the UFC. Bader would pass the test with flying colors, 30-27s across the board, and it set up his title eliminator with John Jones. The second time these two fought, it would be the last fight of Bader's UFC career. You know, right before he went to Bellator and beat Phil Davis for the light heavyweight title. He'd won six of his last seven by that point, and he was angling for a title shot against Daniel Cormier. Do not show it, guys. Don't show DC massacring him at that press conference. I don't need it. I don't need it. Okay, but what about Nog? Well, he TKO'd Patrick Cummins, so there's that. He'd been extremely inactive. One fight a year, if that, for the last five. It was just not a fight we needed to see again. Bader was clearly progressing. Noguera was on the back end of his career. There was just no need for this. And in Brazil of all places too. Come on, UFC. Hey, you guys want to watch your hero get mauled? The stats on this one were grim. 129 strikes to 12. 11 minutes, 20 seconds of control time. Bader would get the TKO in the third round. This was just not it. Not at all. Number five, Dan Severn versus Pedro Hizzo. When Dan Severn lost to Mark Coleman for the inaugural UFC heavyweight title, it was very much a changing of the guard moment. After being the most prominent wrestler in those early UFC events, earning two tournament wins and the Superfight title, his era had passed, and it was time for a new generation. It should have been Dan's last ever UFC bout. Should have been, but it was not. Three years later, after burning through about 25 fighters on the regional scene with a pit stop against Kimo in Pride and a submission loss to Josh Barnett, the Beast was brought back to face the man who was shaping up to be the next generation of 
lead heavyweight striker. At 9-1, with his only loss being to the heavyweight champion Kevin Randleman, somebody at pre-Zufa UFC thought it would be a great idea to throw Dan in there with a guy who was stuffing takedowns from Coleman and Randleman and could kick his head off. The result would be Pedro ending the fight in 90 seconds with a fucking leg kick that immediately buckled the beast and ended his legendary UFC career on the lowest of notes. Number 4. Korean Zombie vs. Max Holloway Just because somebody asked for something doesn't mean you should give it to them, right? And I know this one turned out great. Well, great in the sense that the send-off ended up being beautiful, but not great in outcome. In fact, it was a brutal finish with TKZ getting KO'd early in the third, but it could have been so much worse. We have seen what Max Holloway has done in fights with guys like Zombie. There was every chance that Max landed 900 punches in 25 minutes and left TKZ's head looking like Yoana Xenomorph. And this would have been coming off his loss to Volk, where he got battered as well. I know this was the fight that Zombie wanted to go out on, but this could have been so bad, and everybody that gave it the go-ahead knew that. We always talk about how fighters need to be saved from themselves because they're too tough for their own good, and this was one of those fights that felt like, surely everybody sees the same outcome in this, so what are we doing? Which isn't to take away from Zombie, and he landed some good shots, but on paper, this one made me think, holy shit, they're trying to kill this man. Luckily, the outcome was a lot better than feared, but they were playing with fire. Number 3. Michael Bisping versus Kelvin Gastelum Possibly the greatest story in MMA in 2016 was not double champ Connor or the UFC finally in New York, but the completely unexpected title reign of Michael Bisping. After a controversial win over Anderson Silva, the Count took the middleweight title as a massive underdog in a short-notice bout with Luke Rockhold, and then later that year defended the title against rival Dan Henderson in Manchester. All of this culminated the next year with a huge main event bout against the returning legend George St. Pierre, and while Mike would get knocked down and submitted, there was no denying that he'd finally made his mark on the sport. And so for him to go out like he did just sucked. Three weeks after essentially getting KO'd during his fight with GSP, Mike was asked to fill in on short notice in China against Kelvin Gastelum, who was meant to take on Anderson Silva. Were there seriously no other middleweights that could have filled in UFC? And I know, Bisping agreed to do it, but this feels like one of those save fighters from themselves moments. The count was brutally KO'd in the first round, with many speculating that he'd not recovered fully from his fight with St. Pierre, and that would be the end of his legendary career. A flash knockout in China. No fanfare, no proper goodbye as he was hoping to fight again, just a bitter taste left in everyone's mouth. Number 2. BJ Penn vs. Yair Rodriguez Whenever there's a really tough up-and-coming fighter, the UFC sometimes likes to test them with a veteran star, see if they really have what it takes. And sometimes, like for instance when Yair fought Frankie Edgar right after this, it gets proven that they need a bit more time to reach their potential. That one made sense, that's how you do one of these. But Frankie had won five of his last six. He was clearly still a threat and a good test. BJ, on the other hand, was coming off a three-year layoff, and his last fight was the one he did a Strickland versus Pereira against Frankie and got mauled. The guy hadn't had a win in nearly a decade, and you thought after a long layoff, let's put him against an 11-1 tough winner who has murderous head kicks. I mean, I know Dana has said that BJ is hard to say no to, but what did you guys think was going to happen here? I don't know. And at least every loss before for BJ was to a champion-level fighter. You're just going to throw him in there so all his fans can watch him get wrecked by some kid. Somehow this fight made it out of the first, despite Penn getting kicked in the head 5,200 times. Luckily, it was stopped very early in the second, but good God, what a mistake this fight was. Number 1. Hoist Gracie versus Matt Hughes There's things on paper that sound way better when you don't give them much thought, and this fight is exactly that. What would be better than seeing the old guard and the new guard? This amazing generation 
traditional passing of the torch moment, like when Kobe would play MJ or something. Well, the problem with that is shooting baskets isn't punching somebody in the fucking face. And the generational gap in MMA might as well have been LeBron taking on George Mikan to stick with the NBA analogy. In other words, an absolute massacre. And for what? What was to be gained here? His last big fight was six years previous in pride against Sakuraba. You expected this 39-year-old jiu-jitsu specialist to do what exactly against prime god king Matt Hughes, who probably outweighed him by 20 pounds. The fight went exactly as everyone should have known that it would, with Hughes dominating and getting a first round TKO. Look, it worked, the event was the best selling in history up to that point, so I guess I answered my own question about why this even happened, but it was still doing hoist dirty. You know who would never do you dirty though? The editor of this video, Luke Taylor. Please show him all the love on his social media. He deserves every follow and beautiful comment, as do our wonderful channel champions, who we cannot do this without. If you would like to be one, hit the join button. There's all kinds of cool stuff that comes with it. Or liking and subscribing would help a ton too. What other stars were massacred unneedfully? Let us know down in the comments below. And thank you so much for watching, guys. You all have a good one now.